Welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. In this one, we're finally going to talk about brass. So stay tuned. So welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce and I am joined by... This is Josh. Hey, Josh. So we're going to do something that is a long time overdue. Um, We've been talking about this for about a year and a half. It's kind of crazy. Pretty much since I started this podcast with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we're doing it. We're doing the thing. Um, And what that thing is, is we're going to go back to, honestly, which is surprising, our roots. Um, And in... Honestly, in the beginning, it was a lot of just deep dives about certain games. And so we're finally going to do that together because we haven't really done that. Um, And Josh and I picked a game. Well, we've talked like at length about some, but like a dedicated episode has been a while. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about Brass, which is a game that originally came out back in the early to late 2000s and then had a Kickstarter edition. And Josh and I came about this game like we had heard about it. We wanted to play it. Um, And so with that, when we were at Board Game Geek Con together, uh, we were walking around the board game bazaar, which essentially people like get booths and then they're like, hey, here are my games, sell them, selling them. And you can usually like wheel and deal. And so Josh and I saw these and we went on on it together. And I took one. You took the other. I took Lancashire. You took Birmingham. And we've got sister copies. And, and yeah. And Bruce, I have to say, I, I there is not a another person I would love to split this this game with. It's, uh, it's been really interesting. I I always laugh because we... We got this when I was still living in Texas, and we we talked about um, wanting to get together and, and play our copies, and that's never happened. We've, it has not. We've never played the the other versions beyond what we have. So I'm really excited to do this deep dive and, and talk through both of these games in length and and what it makes them, you know similar different um and what makes them really excellent games yeah so this is gonna be like josh just said um something is a it's been a long time coming we've said that a couple times b we've only played our in like our versions like i've never played birmingham josh has never played lancashire so you're gonna get a deep dive perspective on both and we're gonna you're gonna hear some of the back and forth in terms of like unearthing the differences because there are differences and we have prepped for this we have really really nice talking points to talk about today but with that being said yeah josh you and i got this with the intent of playing it together and then trying the different ones um and then we you move several times since then and life has gotten in the way sometimes so which happens um so anything else you want to say before we dive on into this i'd say let's go for it bruce all right so brass lancashire we're going to start there and then josh is going to come in and talk about brass birmingham and what that is and some of the differences based on what, what i say and then we'll dive into the rest so the overview brass lancashire was first published as brass it's an economic strategy game that tells the story of competing cotton entrepreneurs in lancashire during the industrial revolution you must develop build and establish your industries and networks so you can capitalize on the demand for iron coal and cotton the game is played over two halves, the canal phase and the rail phase. So in one part, you use boats. In one part, you use railroads. To win the game, you'll score the most victory points, which are counted at the end of each half. So at the end of the canal phase, at the end of the rail phase, which is the end of the game. Victory points are gained from your canals, rails, established or flipped industry tiles. We'll talk about that later. Um, and each round, players will take turns according to turn order track, which changes based on how much money you spend the round before. Whoever spends the least money gets to go first. Um, and you've got you play two cards. Each card can represent one action. Those actions are building. So build those coal mines, those ironworks, the cotton ports or ships, um, or establish your network. So the links between different places where you can build, you can sell off your cotton, um, and flip those tiles. That's how you do that. Um, you can also develop on your player board and get rid of, um, lower level icons, um, lower level Uh, industry so that way you can get to the bigger stuff Um, you can also take loans in this game so you'll probably be doing that so loans you take the action you can get between ten dollars twenty dollars or thirty dollars and you'll go that far down on the income track so you've got an income track and victory point track 
Or you can take any one action. So if you don't have the cards you want to play, you can take any one action by playing two cards, but you only get the one action. That is Brass Lancashire in a nutshell. What about Birmingham, Josh? So there are definitely some significant differences to Brass Birmingham from what Bruce just outlined in Lancashire. And the core mechanics remain roughly unchanged. So it is still an economic strategy game. You are still um, competing op entrepreneurs, um, this time in Birmingham, um, but it is the Industrial Revolution. You are still taking turns uh, according to turn order track, which still changes based on whoever spent the least amount of money. Uh, and you take two actions by playing cards out of your hand. Um, all of those actions that Bruce just mentioned uh, continue to work in Brass Birmingham. However, there is a new action that is allowed, and that is the scout action. Um, and actually, this is um, one thing that I don't think I noticed before. And so uh, this actually kind of somewhat replaces that um, any one action for two cards. Oh. So when you scout, you discard three cards from your hand, but you pick up a wild location and a wild industry card. And so I, I think this is one thing that we did, uh, Bruce didn't mention in terms of how these cards actually work. The deck of cards that you are working with uh, represent either industries or locations and the locations are specific cities within the area uh, of England that each each game takes place in and so when you are playing that build action you must be using either the industry card for that matches the industry you are building or you must be spending a location card that matches the location you are building in. Uh, and so what the scout action allows you to do is rather than spending two cards for one action, you're spending two cards in replace of an action to get two wilds into your hand that mm. allow you to build anywhere or anything that you want later on in the turn or on a turn somewhere down the road in the future. That's very different. In addition to that scout action replacing the double action build, you also have some new build options uh, in, in Birmingham. So in addition to coal and iron, you are now also have a third resource, which is beer. And in addition to the cotton industry, you are also building manufactured goods and pottery. So, and then there's some uh, additional differences that come in with some of the more depths of the game, such uh, in terms of how you are exporting those goods that you're building. Um, so the, the the main differences here are really the so the addition of that scout action, the additional uh, changes in the types of goods that you are exporting, and then how you are going to export those goods. Um, Bruce, why don't you talk a little bit about how uh, ports and yeah. um, ships work in Lancashire? Sure. So, and thank you for also going into the information on the scout. I didn't realize that, and that's really cool. Um, so the cotton, uh, how, how selling works is so you've got a couple different goods on your board. You've got your coal, you've got your iron, that stuff doesn't get sold off. Um, that stuff gets actually used to build other things. Um, so for, and we'll talk about that in a little bit on how that transportation works. Uh, but when it comes to your cotton, well, people want the cotton and the cotton needs to be shipped off. And so the cotton needs to be connected to a port. So it looks like an anchor. Um, and there are some of these just on the board as well. So it's, if uh, you know, there's a port action, if it's got a two way arrow and what happens is you discard any card of your choice from your hand and uh, you have eight cards at the start of your hand. Um, and you'll discard one card and you'll flip over your 
cotton and the respective port that you're selling it from. Now, if you're connected to um, someone else's port, you would flip their tile instead. Um, you, it's, it's up to you. But if you have one, you usually want to flip your own stuff. Um, that being said, you can also sell to the distant market. Um, so if you're connected to an already flipped port or a um, exterior connection to the board, um, there's a distant market. And so there's these set of tiles that you can flip over to determine how much your income will go up based on uh, on that sell. Like how much did they really want it? Because then they'll pay a little bit more, a little bit less, or they don't want it after a certain point. Um, so it's, it's kind of like your push your luck little mechanic built into the game. It's kind of cool. Um, but Josh, I know that the port system is different in Birmingham. Yes. So when you are playing in Birmingham, you actually don't have ports that you are building. Instead, there are specific locations on the board which you must link your network to or be linked to by someone else's network. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what networks mean. Um, but you have to be connected to one of these uh, merchant tiles that are already existing on the boards. And certain merchants will only buy certain types of goods. So you may have a merchant that is only looking for cotton. There may be another merchant that is only looking for pottery and so on. Um, there are some merchants that will purchase multiple types of goods, but you have to connect your good manufactured goods specifically um, that you are trying to export to one of those merchants. You then are able to flip your tile if you are connected and are somehow connected or have ownership over beer, which is your third actual resource. So um, there, when you are, in terms of resources, when you are building out your iron or your coal or your beer, you're actually taking cubes, or in the case of beer, actually little beer barrels, um, That's awesome. and putting them onto the tile. Mm. And as you utilize those to build your industry tiles, your cotton, your manufactured goods, and your pottery, you're removing those. Once all of those cubes or beer barrels are used up, you'll flip those tiles. So you could be using other people's um, resources, their beer, their iron, their coal, and giving them points, but you're doing it to build and ship your industries, which are going to give you slightly more points so the uh, than... Yeah, so the thing to take from what Josh and I just talked about is that with Lancashire, this is a very it's a it it is more cutthroat because they're like they just want the one thing, but it's a self-contained system. It's always going to be the same setup every time you play, um, and they're always going to want the same things. But then the actions the players take are what's going to change it or how the cards come out. The big difference there that Josh was talking about is that those. Um, ports are demanding different things and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, that is set up the start of every game and it's random. Yeah. So depending on your player count, you will use a different amount of the board space. So if you're playing with two players, you're only really going to be playing with about half the board. Um, three players, you add another little section, four players, you add another little section. Um, you also, when you add those new players, you're going to add more merchants. Um, so, and, and the merchant tiles are variable on your setup. You're going to have these little tiles for merchants that you will randomly place out at the beginning of the game on all of the merchant locations that you're using, depending on your player count. Oh. And, and so that will change. You may have a game where um, the only person who is looking for uh, you know, manufactured goods is on the opposite side of the board than you are. So you may not for the first half of the game, really be paying attention to manufactured goods. You may be paying attention to building your cotton out because you're closer to the cotton, or you may try and weasel your way into an area of the board closer to that manufactured goods, do, uh, merchant so that you can start producing and selling those goods as well. Um, so those, those 
variabil- that variability in where each merchant tile is placed has a pretty significant impact on your strategy for developing your um, network. And Bruce, there is some some language here that I want to kind of touch on, and okay. that is the difference between what is in your network yeah. and what you are connected to. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that um, I want to talk about it, but I think we need to talk about some other elements and then talk about it here in a second. Sure. So going back, though, to win the game, it's most points. Um, in Lancashire, money counts as points at the end of the game at a ratio of 10 to 1. In Birmingham, though, Josh, what is it? Uh, in Birmingham, your money counts for nothing yeah. at the end of the game. Your money is incredibly important throughout the game as you're building your engine and your um, network of resources and goods. You need money to fuel that engine. But at the end of the game, you're just trying to spend all of your money or as close to all of your money to be able to take the biggest value actions that you possibly can. So in in Lancashire, though, you're trying to build the biggest things you can while also maximizing your income. So, um, and so that's really where the parts of that comes in. And then the tie goes to the highest income. And then the second tiebreaker after that is most money. Now that's important because my wife and I were playing and we tied with points and then we tied with income. And then I beat her because I had a slightly, slightly more money. So ties do work the same way in Birmingham. Ties go to the highest income and then most money. And then if you're still tied, it's a shared victory. Um, I've never seen a tie happen. Yeah. So It's the only time um, I've seen it, but the last time really we played it, that's what happened. It's yeah. crazy. I, I will mention in terms of win conditions and what money is worth, Birmingham does come with what they call an introductory variant. Um, because brass can be a pretty long heavy game they do recommend uh or or suggest that if you are not invested in that long of a game especially as you're learning it to just play the first half of the game that is only play the canal era just do all of your scoring from the canal era and then move on to additional scoring which kind of mirrors more of Lancashire where you get um, points based off of your money, but the scale is actually four to one Mm. instead of 10 to one. And then you also score points based off of your income. So because it's that shortened game, they, they give you a way to generate some points in other ways beyond just the points that you get at the end of the game. So that goes right back to the fact that we were saying a second ago that Lancashire is kind of more punishing. There is no introductory variant. It's just, here's the game. Um, that being said, it is approachable and we'll talk about its weight in a little bit, but it is very approachable. The rule book's very well laid out. It's, it is actually easy to teach, but it, it can be cumbersome. So that being said, uh, we're going to go into some interesting notes about gameplay. So the first thing of note is the player mat. So the player mat, I'm going to actually pull it out right here. Uh, the player mat for brass, Lancashire is about the same size as the one for Birmingham. However, I've got a lot of extra fancy artwork around the sides that Josh does not have because he showed me his thing. Yeah, so for for Birmingham, you're right. It is roughly the same size, but I'm looking at it right now. But because you are building those two additional industries, manufactured goods and pottery, it takes up a lot more. uh, Oh, and the additional resource of beer. It takes up a lot more space on your on your board. So, um, you your player mat has space for all of these little tiles. So on will, my board, which is smaller, right? Mm-hmm. My board has eleven of those spaces. No, hold on, sorry, that's nineteen of those spaces, and each of those is going to have about two to three tiles a piece. Inch by inch tiles, essentially. So you can do the math on that. That's a lot. 
It's um, a lot of little mine has chips. About 30 spaces and oh my each God. one is going to have between two and three tiles on it. <laughs> yeah. So it escalates a lot between the two, man, that's a lot. Um, yeah. so, so the player mat is going to take you a while to set up and then each yes. of those tiles has two sides and you need the, for the top side facing up, uh, cause that it matters a lot. So yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the setup to this game can, can be a bit of a bear. Um, and, and Bruce, actually, this is one thing that wasn't in there, but going along with setup, do you have a coal and iron market in Lancashire? You do. We do. Yeah. So, I think ours so is smaller. A, yeah. So, so you do have that additional setup. Like setup for this is probably one of the most significant barriers to... Yeah playing this game yeah i would say i agree and but i will say the iconography um and the graphic design on it makes it very easy to know what to put where but this thing can be a beast to a new player and we're going to yes. talk about that experience um so you kind of want to have this set up before they get there i i would agree with that 100 percent. yeah um now bruce there is one question that i really want to ask you about this gameplay sure and I left this intentionally vague so that I can all it says is theme get... question mark in parentheses. Josh asks. So I have no <laughs> idea what he's about to ask me. I, I, I it's really just that I want to know from your perspective. I would, in my opinion, brass is kind of the epitome and definition of a Euro game. Yeah. What? What theme does this game evoke for you? That's a good question. So for me, for the theme, do I feel like I am actually building a um, coal, like a coal mine or a cotton area? No, I feel nothing different between the two. I don't. And also with that, so on the board, like Josh talked about, well, on your cards, you either have the location tile or location card or a industry card. And so if I'm just doing an industry, not an industry card, but a location card, I'm just randomly putting this place on the other side of the map. So for running a business, no, I don't think I would do that. I would try and consolidate my stuff, right? I'd try and leverage that. I wouldn't care about having one thing over here and one thing over here. So I don't know that I feel fully that I'm running this like efficient business, which a lot of times Euro games try to evoke like you will need to be efficient, you need to make good choices, and you have to do that with this. But I don't feel like I'm actually running an industrial revolution company. That's really interesting because I, I would agree with you. I don't get the feeling that, right, there's no difference for me from building a coal mine versus building a cotton mill versus building a pottery, whatever. Um, yeah, or place. building a ship. Like, or, Yeah, right. I don't, there's no difference in that. What I'm doing is I'm spending the resources required and the money required to put a cardboard piece out onto the board from my player mat. Does not evoke that idea of building these different types of industries that being said this feels like capitalism the board game yes and on that note i, I agree with that on that note my wife loves it right but mm -hmm. she also really loves food chain magnate yeah, I there are there's some, some connections. There are some connections and and I can understand why those two would click for the same type of person. Yeah. Despite the fact that spoiler alert, this is one of my favorite games. Same here. I won't play Food Chain Magnate. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, I think the theme to this game while it is that really heavy euro game where it is focused on the mechanics and the strategy and not on the theme. I do feel like I'm building a network of companies as a titan of industry mm -hmm. and playing off of, oh, my neighbor and competing industry titan 
the person I'm trying to do better than has made available these goods. I'm going to take those goods. Now they're going to gain a benefit from it and that's going to hurt me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to turn those goods into this much better, nicer good and end up with the competitive advantage. Yeah. I think that player interaction of utilizing the resources that are made available by players, giving them points, but earning yourself a higher level of reward feels very much like you are in a capitalist system competing with other capitalists. I agree. I agree. And I actually really like that synthesis of it. Very well said, Josh. Um, and I think there's the action, like you said, the actions they choose can and should signal to you what you should do. Um, so for example, Josh talked about, there's these two industry markets, the coal market and the iron market. Um, if someone there's no, let's say iron on the board and they need to build something or use iron and they all of a sudden buy out of that market. Well, all of a sudden I want to change my strategy and immediately play an iron works because guess what? Yeah, I'm going to pay to build it, but then I'm immediately going to sell those iron right back to that market and get paid for what I just did. So I'm speeding up my turnaround time for victory points and denying my, the other person from getting any of those victory points. So it's actually really, really cool. Yeah. I, and in terms of a Euro game, I, there are very few Euro games where player interaction is as deep and complex as the player interaction in this game. The, the actions that your neighbors take have a direct and meaningful impact on the actions that you will take in the future and possibly in the way that you score at the end of the round. Mm-hmm. And I will say that that is true at the four player count and at the two player count. Okay. Like, so like I've played a lot at two player. Mm-hmm. I've played more at two player than I have at three and four. Um, and I've had the same level of player interaction like that between the two. Now, obviously there's less variability that happens between one turn to the next, but that is still there. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Bruce, you mentioned that one of the actions you can take is loans and, and that you will take loans. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Sure. So in the game, part of the game is that you're not, you're going to constantly be battling. What do I, what do I want to build and do I have enough money for it? And then how big of a loan do I potentially need to take while I still can? Cause there's a point in the game at the end, you actually can't take loans in the last round, uh, last several rounds of the game for Lancashire. I know you said Josh, that's a little different for yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's actually something that comes up. Like you can't take loans in the last four turns of the game, which is very, very different. Um, with that being said, there's this thing called as humans, we tend to try and avoid loss. If we're building up an engine and we're able to have a higher income, there's a really big pressure to not take a loan because loans as you go your income as you go higher it takes you three income bumps to actually go up an actual meaningful bump so it takes three bumps to get an extra dollar per turn and if you were to take a 30 30,000 so 30 loan you're going to go down three full income levels three dollars a turn which could be nine income nine income bumps so it's it's a big it feels like a big loss and a big gut punch when you take a loan that being said the last game we played i took four loans during the game but i was making a ton of money mm-hmm. a ton of money um so like i said we, like we, my wife and i both scored we went around the board um we had very very high scores but it, the the first couple times i played this i was really really nervous about taking a loan because I didn't know, and since they give you the option of 10, 20, or 30, what do you want? I didn't know which one was the right choice. So so there are some significant differences to the loan action in Birmingham that now that I'm hearing you explain that in Lancashire are, are different in uh, Birmingham. First and foremost, you don't have a choice. 
your loan is 30 pounds period wow. every time it's 30 huh. um now when you take the loan in Birmingham so can you go into negative income in Lancashire you can you can yeah so at least in Birmingham the way it is set up is you start at zero and you can go down to negative 10 however going into negative income is only one bump one space yeah it's the same right? so you don't have that three gap to catch up so I'll be honest with you my first turn or my first action in every game of Birmingham I've played since probably my second has always been take a loan because it's a lot easier to make up the difference of going negative than to bump it up and then have to fall back down to zero. I agree. That would make sense. That would make a lot of sense because it's not like Martin Wallace's other game of age of steam where Mm -hmm. if you take, if you don't take enough money out when you have to pay out at the end, then you could go bankrupt in the first round of the game and you're out. Yeah. This one doesn't have that. No, you do lose some victory points. Sure. Um, if you can't pay off your loans. But um, generally speaking, if you're taking 30 and the most you're going to have to pay out is three, um, you know, you hold back that three and make sure you can pay it at the end of the round and hope that you're able to recoup that income on the next. Huh. It's not that hard to do realistically. Yeah. Um, The other difference in loans in Birmingham is that you can take loans up to the very end of the game. And what's important about that is your money doesn't count towards end of game. So you could be playing at a deficit for your last few rounds, take a loan in order to complete all of your actions in your last round, And it allows a little bit more flexibility. So going back to that difference of cutthroat in Lancashire versus a little more forgiving in Birmingham, being able to take those loans late game allow you to be a little bit more flexible with your strategy. Yeah, because if you didn't, honestly, if you didn't math right, you could be left on your last two turns of Lancashire saying, oh, I wanted to do these things and I'm a dollar short. And I can't take a loan and too bad. Like that's, that's, that's the game. Um, and, but if there's a learning moment, which is good. Yeah. And you know, I, I find, um, actually the, the issue that I have more often with Birmingham is I get to the end and I have all of the money or the ability to get the money that I need. I don't have enough actions I don't have enough cards left in my hand to do all of the actions to get me where I wanted to be. And for us, it's, I have just enough actions, but I might not have enough money. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, I want to talk about a different part of the game. That's really important. And that is that it takes place over two halves, which is not something I talked about with the theme, but I think it plays in because like if I was running this business, I don't know that I'd get rid of, my entire infrastructure <laughs> just cause, Ooh, I have a sh- I can get shiny new railroads now. Um, so that's exactly what happens y'all. So there's the canal era in which you're putting out canals and there are different types of paths on the board. Some that can take railroads, some that can take canals, some that can take both. And with that being said, um, you'll score. So every flip tile um, that a canal or railroad is connected to when it's taken off the board at the end, at the half or at the end, um, gets a, gives you a point. Um, so you, you can be getting like eight points from one link. Um, but with that being said, there's also some level one buildings. Um, these have a blue and white on them showing that they're only available in the canal era. And in order... and if you have any of those on the board, they also come off the board after you score them. Hopefully, you flip them. If you didn't, it was a waste. Um, and then you're going to have to develop through any leftover cards on uh, tiles on your board. In the railroad era, how you'll end the canal era is also pretty much where you start in the rail era, though. So the tiles that you have remaining on the board after you've taken away the 
um, level one buildings and all of your canals, um, besides for the cards that you're going to get that are city specific, you have a started potentially starting infrastructure of some buildings um, that were the more advanced buildings that you do get to start the rail era with, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, Bruce, I, I will acknowledge and say that that is probably one of the weirdest aspects in terms of theming of this game is the removing your canal tiles. Um, that does feel very, very non-thematic. But um, there are some interesting... It, it, in terms of the feel of the game, it, it, it also feels somewhat thematic in that you are produ- uh, building this company through the Industrial Revolution. So mm-hmm. you are starting with these canals that you're using to move your goods around England with. And then you are advancing into the building of railroads. And there's actually a, a difference in cost. So in the first canal era, you're spending, I think it's what, three iron or three coal? Th- three money. Uh, three money to, to build a... Um, to one link. Uh, a link. Whereas in the second half, you are spending five money to build that link. Plus a coal. Plus a coal. Or 15 money to spend to do two. And two coal. And two coal, yeah. yeah. And just to clarify, it actually says in the rule book, the canal, canal era was from 1770 to 1830, and the rail era was from 1830 to 1870. Yeah, so there's um, some really interesting historical tidbits throughout the rule book. Uh, I, I think both rule books that, that are pretty fun and interesting. But I do want to kind of talk about how scoring between canal and rail era works Go ahead. Um, a little bit more. So... As Bruce mentioned, as you're shipping out these goods, so either you or your opponents are using up your iron or your coal, you're flipping your tile from an active industry to a functional industry. Um, And then likewise with your industrial tiles, your cotton, um, or in the case of um, Birmingham, your iron or your um manufactured goods and Mm -hmm. pottery you're flipping those once you've shipped them off to market and you're flipping those tiles at that point what you're looking at when you flip a tile is some new iconography that has links and total victory points Mm -hmm. so you look at your victory points you're going to get that many victory points for that tile right then right then you're then going to look at the links. And most tiles, I believe, have one or two links on them. Everything which, in everything in Lancashire is one link. Oh, interesting. There are some tiles that have two links in Birmingham. And you are going to count the number of canals or railroads that you have connected to links and you're going to get those victory points mm-hmm. as well at the end of the canal era and then again at the end of the rail era era. So, so one of the th- yeah, go ahead. One of the things that's really interesting and a really it's hard to do, but if you do it, you can score a ton of points this way is to get to those level 2 industries before the end of the canal era because Level one is going to score in canal and then they're going to get pulled off the board. But those level twos are going to stay on the board and they're going to stay flipped. So you are then going to score them again at the end of the rail era. So what's important there, just to point this out. So when you look at, let's say, um, let's say it's a port, right? So a level one port is going to get you two victory points, right? Um, And you'll get the point for the link. But if you were to put out a level two port, it's going to get you four points and you're going to get the point for the link. So net six instead of netting four. Yeah, there's some really, really 
interesting. And, and when you get into Birmingham, there's some really interesting decisions between cotton versus manufactured goods because your level two cotton and manufactured are both worth five, uh, yeah, five victory points immediately. But your manufactured good only gives you one link while your cotton gives you two links. Mm. Mm. Um, there's just some really, really interesting yeah, that is kind of decisions to be made in terms of how you're going to n- maneuver these different types of goods that you're, you're shipping out. So uh, thank you for going into that, Josh. Um, mm-hmm. So speaking of shipping out goods... Um, we've talked about the networks and so you can build off of if you your one of your actions can be to play a card to put a link out or if you're in the rail era up to two links which is yes it's more expensive three times more expensive for in terms of money five versus 15 but you're doing it with one action which is super powerful Um, but you can also work off of other people's networks and that's important because if a building or a link requires coal well, coal has to come from a chain of links, whether it's yours or somebody else's. But it'll default to the closest source of coal. And why is that, Josh? Because in the Industrial Revolution, coal was needed in such large quantities that it must it had to be shipped via either boat or rail. Yeah, but iron, however, was made in such limited quantities that they could just put it on the back of a horse and buggy, and it can come from anywhere on the board at all, which is interesting. So this is where that interesting confusion and complication about language comes in, in terms of the the language of what is in network and what you are connected to. Yep. So your network, is the combination of your links, so your railroads or canals, and your industries. The things that you are scoring are the things that are within your network. On the other hand, there is what you are connected to, and you then look at opponents' links as well as your own to determine what you're connected to. So I may not have any coal within my network, But if Bruce has played a railroad that connects my good to some coal further down the rails, then I am at least connected to it. I can purchase it because there is a way to get that coal to me, even if it's not using my network. Which is something that I actually really like about this game because I think that helps with the theme of I want to build these things do I have a supply chain to do it? Mm -hmm. And that is a key, key thing. Um, So I think it's important that we move on to the next parts, Josh. Yep, Um, absolutely. So in terms of, we're going to talk about components, table presence, et cetera, and kind of steamroll through some of these. So first of all, we want to acknowledge that we both have the Kickstarter editions of this. And the 2018 editions of this, right? These are the Roxley published versions um from 2018 uh so first print run what we're going to talk about here are more of the deluxified components that we have access to yeah so you can go out and buy these games however some of the stuff that we're about to talk about you won't necessarily get um so our games come with what are called the iron clays these are the most satisfying poker chips you will ever play with ever they're beautiful Um, full transparency, I ordered a set of these poker chips. Josh is holding them in his hands for the ones from the game because these other ones haven't come in. I've ordered a fancy set of these poker chips as Josh's wedding present. I'm just in the last Kickstarter. Um, so once it comes in, it's going to be heavy, but I'm going to get it to Josh. (laughs) Um, because they are that good. They're amazing. They really are wonderful poker chips. I will say, um, funnily enough, uh, a good friend of mine here, actually has a complaint about them. Um, And that is he used to work in a casino and the colors are not right. So the colors are also not right if you play like 18xx games. So really heavy, heavy Euro games. There's a set thing of colors because people like to use poker chips for that instead of money. That I understand. 
but I will agree that in terms of the the weight, the design, in terms of like the the visual design that is on the chip, the feel in your hand, they are some of the most satisfying poker chips that are out there. I, I absolutely love these, and I'm I there are very few things I was excited to hear about from my wedding than Bruce purchasing me a set of iron clay poker chips. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to do it. It's one of those things of when we get to play, like let's have a poker night and we're going to play with those. Um, that will happen. Um, so, but that is only in the Kickstarter deluxe editions. Um, so that's mm-hmm. why we're very thankful we were able to find copies of this because it's very hard to find copies of this. Um, that being said though, the box as well as the cards all have a linen finish. Um, so it feels really nice. Um, it, it's very satisfying. It helps with shuffling them. It helps with card feel. It also helps with its um, durability a little bit. Um, also, they're thinner but but stronger, if that makes sense. Go back and listen to us talk about Wingspan yeah. for more information about me going gaga over linen finish cards. Yeah, well, in Wingspan, though, they also have a linen finish rule book. That's the kicker. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, Birmingham, though, has a special thing. Yeah, so uh, I talked about this already a little bit, but in Birmingham, since you are producing beer, um, which, interestingly enough, the historical tidbit about why you're producing beer is because in industrial England, beer was actually healthier for you than drinking the water because of all of the pollution in the water because of the coal and the the manufacturing. Anyway, since you are producing beer, you actually get these nice little wooden beer barrels um, that you're putting out on the board, which, you know, not much, but it, it definitely feels really kind of fun and, and unique and interesting. So if you're I wondering, really enjoy having them. I'm jealous because if you're wondering what the coal and the iron are, the coal is a little black cube and the iron is a little orange cube. It's yep. cube pushing for me. Um, but hey, we also have dual sided, uh, dual sided uh, boards. Um, so the game board is double sided. There's a difference though. The art is gorgeous on both. Um, both of mine are Lancashire. The difference is the one is the two to four player side. And the other side, back with the original version of Brass, there was a um, essentially a fan-made, community-made two-player variant. That's what that board is. And the rule book has the instructions on how to play that variant setup. But honestly, my wife and I just play two-player on the three on the two to four side board. Yeah. Um, Birmingham does not have a variant for two player. So what they went ahead and did is it's the same exact artwork, but one side is very light and colorful and bright. It is set in Birmingham during the day. And the reverse side of that is very dark and gloomy and black. And that is the night version. So it's just a different styling of the same type of art but i really enjoy it i really appreciate it i've never actually played on the day side of the board i always go to the night side for some reason which Um, one's easier to see you know probably the day side (laughs) i just like the night a little bit better um it's just it, it feels more industrial revolution it's darker it's that's true. Heavier. It, it just looks cooler, in my opinion. That's fair. If honestly, if I had the opportunity, I mean, how often do we get a board game that's like printed on the night mode, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's, that is cool. Um, so some other cool things about it, we've talked about it a little bit before, but there's historical figures in the rule book. Um, so every color, um, every col- player player color, player color um, has a double sided chi- uh, chip. Um, that has one face on one side, one face on the other. And there is a paragraph description as well as their birth year and death year for each of these individuals. So if you want a little historical context about each of these different industrial revolution individuals from England, then you can check that out. It's really cool. And it's, we, Josh and I compared, it's the same ones between the two. Um, but what, what really made them do that, Josh? Like, what did they add into this? So, there is actually someone credited in the rule books for these games, and, and that is a, a woman by the name of Judith Bennett, who is the historical advisor. So she, again, provides these 
Um, and, and so you these characters that you're playing as, and, and just for some context, one side of your chip is a male, the other side is a female. They're all historical titans of industry. Is that not the Not case? all of them are male-female. Some of them are male-male. There's like oh, there three are. of them that are male-female. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. Um, my apologies. You're good. But um, I like each... that they have women representation in the Industrial Revolution. Yes, very, very interesting. But these are all titans of industry, and so she provides some biography to them. Um, she also is the one who provides that context for why coal can be only purchased if it is connected to you and why iron can be purchased from anywhere. There's some interesting stuff about the beer. So beer actually, if it is your beer that you're producing, it can come from anywhere on the board. If you're using someone else's beer that they've produced, you have to be connected to it. Hmm. Um, so there's some interesting caveats to that as well. So one other thing I'd like to mention about the historical context of this, um, I was listening to the Heavy Cardboard podcast um, and Edward's work over there. He does great stuff. I encourage you to go check that out, especially during everything going on in the world. He's doing a lot of live streams that are awesome. Um, with that being said, he has a buddy on the show who grew up essentially in this area. Um, and there's such detail on the board that when he looked at some of the towns, He's like, I've, I've been to that chapel. Like they, uh, the art on the board actually is indicative of actual historical photos of some of those small towns. So it's pretty insane the level of detail put on into this. Yeah, I was unaware of that. That's really, really cool. Very interesting. But And, and the artwork is just phenomenal as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Um, so some other things of note. Um, are the board game geek stats? Um, I I just jumped way ahead. Um, but the board game geek stats of this uh, for Lancashire has it um, eight point two out of ten with seventeen thousand ratings and a weight of eight point three six out of five, whereas Birmingham is close. And Birmingham's actually a little bit higher on both yeah. of those numbers. So Birmingham is ranked as an eight point six out of ten, and as of recording this, actually sits as the third highest ranked game on fourth highest ranked game on bgg right now um which i was completely shocked by i i didn't realize it had gotten that high um it has a uh 3.92 so slightly higher weight um classification as well um but i i mean how close these two are in terms of ratings in terms of weight you know i i i I don't see there to be a, a significant difference in terms of how much people like these games or, yeah. or how hard they are to pick up and learn. Yeah. Um, so the impact of all this, the table presence, we said it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. But there's a lot of little chits of cardboard. But it's on a beautiful board that's easy to understand the board. Um, but And gorgeous artwork on the cards. But there's a lot of little pieces that you got to set up, which is is a hurdle to entry. Again, I, I'll I'll repeat back what Bruce said. This is a game that it I I don't recommend just pulling this off the shelf and saying, hey, let's set this up. Right. This is a game that I think you need to plan to play and ideally have set up ready to go when your players arrive. Um, just because it can be really boring for someone who's coming over to just sit and watch you set up, especially if they don't know what they're doing or how to help. Um, so it, I, I, the setup is hard, but it is gorgeous. It yeah. looks fantastic. When you walk into a room and see this setup on the table, it's stunning. I, I have to say it's, it's absolutely one of the most gorgeous board games I've ever seen. Um, that being said though, Josh, what you just described is exactly how I learned how to play. Um, I was at an all day game thing for uh, individual's birthday. Um, no, don't get me wrong. I got to play brass and I, th and at the end loved it and had to get it, but they pulled this off the shelf at 10 PM at night. And that was just a poor choice because I was tired from the day. Um, and also there was a lot of setup and a lot of rules to then explain. So I encourage you to have this as like your dinner time game, like the, or, or afternoon game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would definitely say plan for this one. 
Um, if you're going to pull it off the shelf, set up and play, make sure it's the first game you're doing that with, not yeah. the like winding down at the end of the night. Yeah. Um, that being said, Josh, uh, you did mention a in the notes a very a beautiful little statement. Um, yeah. So here's kind of how I would describe brass. So a 3.9, 3.8 to 3.9 out of five on weight is pretty heavy. Um, and I, I would say that this is one of the heavier games that I own in my collection, but I would say that this is a very complex implementation of relatively simple mechanics. Mm -hmm. Really all you're doing is you are, you have a hand of cards, you're playing those cards and you're taking one of six, five or six actions, depending on what you're doing or which game you're playing. Your act, your your cards only matter if you are building, um, and then, like I said, you have to match what you're building to the card you're playing. Um, and and you just have to have the resources available to you, to via purchase or via coming off the board, in order to play those cards, uh, or to uh, move those tiles out onto the board. Um, you're really not doing a whole lot in terms of mechanics, but the depth of strategy and the way in which you build and kind of steamroll an engine is just really hard to grasp, I think, for entry level or or newer gamers. This is not mm -hmm. something that I would introduce to someone who hasn't really developed an understanding and passion for board games and the different types of strategies that are involved in heavy Euro games. Yeah. If you're wanting to introduce people to your a Euro game, this is not the one to start with. I'd personally recommend like a Viticulture. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd start there. Um, let's go into our final thoughts. So for me, it's one of my favorite games. It's one of my wife's favorite games. It's a game I'll take out for two player. It's a game I'll take out for three or four player, um, especially with those gamers, right? Um, this is a game that will pretty much always be in my collection. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. I honestly love it. Yeah, Bruce, I, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said there. Um, the difference here, my wife isn't into heavier games, generally speaking. Um, I've never introduced this to her. It's one that I really want to get her to play because if she liked this game, I would play it constantly. Um, <laughs> this is hands down in my top 10 games, probably in my top five. Um, I adore this game and everything about it. Um, the, the, like I said, the, the, the feelings that it evokes in terms of, being this titan of industry and competing and and working both for and against your opponents um, really just makes some really interesting decision and hard and complex choices that if you are prone to AP, this analysis may not be paralysis. the game for you. Uh, analysis paralysis. Thank you, Bruce. Yep. If you are prone to analysis paralysis, this may not be the game for you. If you're playing with folks who are prone to analysis paralysis, this may not be the best game to introduce them to. Yeah. But if you want to sink your teeth into a game that just every time I play it, I discover something new. I find a new strategy. I improve on the techniques that I'm doing using and it, I just keep coming back to it and I keep sinking my teeth deeper and deeper. And I, I have not found the bone to this meat. Um, <laughs> That's a beautiful saying. Um, it is, it is so, so deep and complex and I just, I adore it. Awesome. So I got a couple questions. Do you think you need to own both copies? Having not played Lancashire, it's hard to really answer that, but my opinion is no. Um, given what you shared with me, given what I've seen in terms of the similarities, I don't think that you need to have both of these. Now, if you're like me and you have a little bit of 
a um, obsession around being a completionist. I want to own the <laughs> other copy of the Kickstarter edition yeah. just because they look so nice next to one another on the shelf. Yeah. I don't know that I would play a lot of Lancashire. I I don't like the cut. It's it's why and I I think this is one of those connections you talked about food chain magnet your wife loves both Lancashire and food chain magnet. Those are cutthroat euro games i prefer a little bit more wiggle room in being able to make a mistake and recover from it Um, i just don't feel like you get that option in in lancashire from what i've heard you really don't now my thing is i so again it is you like you said it is hard to say whether or not you need to own both when we both don't own both um but I also want to just acknowledge, I think you and I both ended up with the copies that we should have ended up with. Agreed. Yeah. But I've played the ton out of this game. I've played it a bunch of times now, and I am really, really wanting to play the Birmingham experience. I I want to try Lancashire. I I, I do think that it is worth playing both versions i think that depending on the type of player and the type of experience you prefer you will have a clear favorite and because actually one of the players in my player group um we just played about a month ago um and he'd played a ton of lancashire but had never played birmingham about halfway through the game he's like this is good i'd rather play lancashire Hmm. um and, and i think it is because he looks for that cutthroat. I want to know that I did the best because I didn't make any mistakes because if I had, I would have been destroyed. Right. I, I I think he really looks for that experience. Um, and so I, I think that there is, you will have a preference, but I do think it's worth playing both. I'll, I'll give you that. And I agree. I'd say play both, figure out which one you're more inclined to, absolutely buy that one but then if you want to and you played through it a bunch get the other one now i will say this too i think what you just said josh about the um types of players right i think that there's a very good reason and a correlation between birmingham being rated as the number four game on bgg and lancashire yes ranked within the top 100 but not at that level right yeah right i think it's, I think part of that is an accessibility issue, right? Yeah. Is That's what I was getting at. You are always going to see a more accessible game higher ranked than a less accessible game. I say that knowing that um, Twilight Struggle is in the top 10 and right. that's one of the least accessible games out there. But generally speaking, the more accessible the game, the higher the ranking. And because these are so similar in their experience and the feel that it, the feelings that it evokes, I think that's why you see that difference is you're just, you have a more accessible experience with Birmingham. So that being said, I want to just give some words of advice and we've done this a lot um, in terms of buying things online. Well, first of all, it's hard to buy things online right now. Um, that being said, Birmingham and Lancashire both are oft, often succumb to third-party price gouging on Amazon um, when they're there. That being said, if you just go to Roxley's website, they let you know when it's going to be available, and they're not going to beat around the bush. It's just MSRP, but that is for the Super Deluxe Edition, um, where the other one is a much thinner box. Um, this one actually comes still with the, um, the clays which is nice. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you want it with the clays and you want to not pay above MSRP, just go to the website. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can always shop around and try to find below MSRP, but I, I would, I would, I would agree. I yeah. think that the iron clays alone make it worth going and paying MSRP on this one. And I find it actually pretty difficult to find these games at anything but MSRP. Yeah. Every now and then it appears on like miniature market every now and then, but not often at all. The only place I've ever seen either 
outside of um, the bazaar where we purchased them uh, has been a, a friendly local game store. Yeah. Like I. Yeah. Um, but again, and, that's and, not the Kickstarter edition. Yeah, it, it's your it's it's your basic, um, you know, still Roxley edition, but yep. you're not getting the Iron Clays, which yeah. they're awesome. You know, they're yeah, great. They're awesome. Um, so that being said, I know listeners, this has run a little bit longer than an episode. So thanks for hanging in there. Um, but hopefully this was super meaningful. Josh and I haven't done this deep of a conversation and rules explanation since Josh joined the podcast. Um, and yeah. for really two games at once. That's so true. You that, got a twofer. That, that makes it a little bit Yeah, so this is two episodes put together. So that's why it is also a little bit longer. Thank you for that, Josh. Um, But hopefully this is meaningful. Like, uh, write to us, let us know. So boardgameimpact at gmail.com or just shoot us a message in the Facebook group um, just to let us know. Like, what do you think about these deep dives? Is there any games that you want to see us do in the future for a deep dive? Um, So because this was a lot of fun to talk about and to explore together. Um, So Josh, what do you have to kind of close us out? And then I'll close us out completely. Once again, as always, listeners, I, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to Board Game Impact. I uh, really hope that, you know, what we've shared with you today about both of these games uh, and, and the experiences that we've had with them have been meaningful to you um, and, and have a positive impact on you. Thank you so much for, for joining us and please come on back next time. Yep. And so we're going to have another episode available in two weeks. Um, where we're going to talk about the games we've been playing recently, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, But if you've enjoyed learning about these things, please make sure to rate us in your podcast app. That really helps with the discoverability besides sharing with a friend. Um, So that way they can hear the information too. So if you have a friend that likes Euro games, send this to them so that way they can get a rundown on brass. That'd be helpful. Um, Besides that, just want to say thank you, of course, to our phenomenal Patreon backers who literally make this possible. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about that, go to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. And um, really just go out there and have a positive impact on the world. Enjoy the games that you're getting to play um, and enjoy that time together. So until next time, see you in two weeks.